if you have your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Genesis chapter 40. That's where we are. That's where we're picking it up today. We're in Genesis 40, and we're continuing our, our journey together through this first book of the Bible. We're in the life of Joseph now at this point, who hopefully you'll remember uh, from last time. Uh, Joseph is in Egypt. That's where he is. He's in that first really uh, really that first global empire that, that, ever, that ever existed. Uh, he, he's in that place. And for Joseph, life at this point, I think if we're just looking at him, like if we're looking at a comprehensive picture of his life, it's really been sort of a roller coaster for him at this point. I mean, it has been ups and downs. It, it's been a lot of that. And, and, and really, if you think about it, he was born into, like Joseph was born into a really good situation. I mean, he really was. He was born, just by virtue of the fact that he was born into the family of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that means he was born into a good situation. And then you take and add to the fact that he was his, his daddy's favorite, and he really had things kind of going for him. And so he was like, I mean, he genuinely was like a covenant child today. I mean, for you parents who, who are here and you have children with you, that's Joseph. He's, he's a covenant child, just like a child in the church today. And, and so at least on a personal level, things for him are, well, I mean, they're going, they're going pretty good. But the, the, bottom, for the, the bottom sort of fell out for, for Joseph, all right? When his brother's jealousy of him boiled over and, 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 and they wanted to kill him. They decided not to kill him, which I guess, I mean, I guess that's kind of a good thing. Instead, they sold him to some Ishmaelites, meaning those who were outside the covenant. So they took this covenant child, this brother of theirs, and they sold him to people who were outside of the covenant, outside of God's covenant people. And then those people took him and sold him to a man called Potiphar. And then Potiphar, this is what, this is what it said. It said that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him. That Potiphar saw that. Egyptian, pagan, polytheist Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him. This was last week, and he elevated him to the highest position in his house. You remember that, and the roller coaster just continues in his life. So now he's back in a pretty good spot until, until you know, Potiphar's wife starts hitting on him and stuff and, and ultimately trying to get him to sin with her. He, he refuses. He shows that heart for God. And honestly, that was really beautiful. And, and then what we saw is that she wasn't, uh, well, she was a liar and she accuses him of, a, of an assault that did not happen. And now he's, now he's back in the valley. He's back in the low place. The darkness is around him. And Joseph, okay, if we can see him, like if you and I can, can see him in our minds, we can relate to him. If we can picture him, not as like a caricature out of a story, but as a real man, we can understand him. We'll, we'll recognize these patterns in his life, these ups and downs, because we experience these same things. It'll be like talking to somebody who's been on the same ride as we have, as we know this roller coaster. And so what I'd ask you to do now as we pick it up here is just stand with me as we look to God and his word there in Genesis 40. Stand with me as we look to God even now, as we trust, as we just sang together to, to God to speak what is true to us. This is Genesis 
chapter 40. And I'm going to start with the first eight verses there. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together, whether we are together here in person or whether we are together across the, the common grace channels of virtual and live streaming, however it is that we're gathered here this morning. Lord, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for speaking your word. And Lord, now we ask that you would help us to receive it that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see, and that you would awaken our souls this morning, that we might know you, that we might be with you, or that we might love you. Will you do that for us this morning? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. At the end of uh, chapter 39, as Joseph was there in prison, this is what it said. We, We read that the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. That's a snapshot right there of Joseph's present situation. It's that Joseph is in the valley, in the shadow, right? He is in the pit, just like his brothers had thrown him into a pit, thinking we'll just leave him there. Now he's in the pit that is the prison of the captain of the guard. What we're seeing over and over again in this story is that the Lord, is that the Lord was there with him. And this is really, I I can't emphasize this enough, this really is the key to understanding the story of this man's life. It's recognizing what Potiphar recognized. It's recognizing what the keeper of the prison recognized, that in the mess of life and in the storms of life, like in the pandemic, can we just, I just bring this into our world. In the pandemic of life, in the fatigue of life, in the depression of life, in the loneliness of life, in the canceled holiday gatherings of life, and all the frustration and bitterness and angst and sorrow, the Lord is with his people. Period. Full stop. And so what that means here, okay, right now, what that means for us as, as we're here today is that today, this moment is, ju- it is not just an ordinary day. 
that today is not just an ordinary Sunday. It's not just another Sunday. As tempting as it is to think that, I know how easy it is to think that way. To think that this is just another day. It's just another time. We did this last week. We'll do it again this week. Some people are like, yeah, this week we're going to mix it up. We're going to stay home and watch it. Some people are like, no, no, we're, gonna, we're being bold today, man. We're putting on the mask. We're going into the place. We're going to do this right. But I promise you, today is not just an ordinary day. You see, the story of Joseph demands, it demands that we see life not just from our temporal, limited perspective, but that we see life from the perspective of God, of the God who grants life to us. So today isn't just an ordinary day, it's a gift. Like right now. You're like, why are you yelling at me? It doesn't sound like a gift. Because I want you to believe this. I want you to believe that today is not just an ordinary day. Because we need a bigger vision. If I can just be straight with you. We do. We as a people, we as a church, we need a bigger vision of what life is. Because again, I'm just going to say it. When Joseph woke up that morning in Genesis 40, the natural temptation for him would be to think that it's just a it's just another day. We, like, he's been there. We get the idea that it's been for some time, okay? We know that it's been uh, what verse, uh, verse 1 calls some time. And so the idea is that this isn't his first day, all right? He's been there long enough. Here's what I'd say. Joseph's been in jail long enough to be used to it. All right, he's got some daily routines, he has a schedule, he knows the menu, right? And we know that he has, because he's been given them, responsibilities within the prison. And now, now he has some fellow prisoners. And then it says in verse 4, look at that, that the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. Now we need to remember, now who's the captain of the guard? That's Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the guard. That's his position. We saw that back in chapter 39. And then we read that they continued for some time in custody. So this isn't day one for them either. They've been there for a while. Joseph knows these men. He does. And to be clear, this is not a promotion for Joseph, okay? It's not an honor to be the servant of the prisoners in prison. Can we just be like, when it says he attended them, that means he served them. So don't think that this is a high spot for Joseph. Joseph's not only in the prison, he's serving the prisoners. So I don't know that it gets any lower than that, honestly. I I think that's about rock bottom for our boy Joseph. And so just like you on a Tuesday morning or whatever your most mundane day is, when you're eating your honey bunches of oats or whatever it is you eat in the morning, you just know, now you know my favorite cereal. Nobody there sitting at that table or or sitting on the floor, whatever they were doing, nobody there would have thought that this was going to be a historical moment. Nobody. Nobody who was living this story, not even Joseph, would have ever thought that you and I, or anyone for that matter, would be reading about this day thousands of years later. Reading this story. But you and I, we have a bigger picture, don't we? Like, 
like, I'll just tell you, the reason we know we have a bigger picture is because we have it on the page in front of us. Like, we know this is chapter 40 and 41's coming. So we have a bigger picture of life than Joseph did in this morning. It's like we've seen the trailer already. Like we know they've signed on for some sequels and this isn't the end of the story. They're going to pop back up. And we know that he is going to be instrumental, that Joseph is going to be instrumental in both the preservation and the multiplication of God's people. And so what that means is that even here in this prison, the Lord is with Joseph. And the Lord is continuing to mold him and to shape him and to fashion him and to renew him and to sanctify Joseph for the purpose of his own redemptive will. This is Joseph's preparation for preservation. It's God's continued faithfulness to his servant to equip him for the mission into which he has not only been called, but for which he was born which he was created. And if we can be honest, if, if given the choice, Joseph would not have chosen this path for himself. Right? Joseph would not have picked this journey. And some of us can relate to that. There's not a soul in here who would have designed this year to look like what we have found. There's not, not one of you. There's not one person here going, you know what, I really kind of like things. This has really been a good run for us. Not a soul. It, it bugs me that we have to live in a time where people are so distant from one another. It bugs me that I can't see your faces. Like it really does. Keep them on. Just being honest. It bugs me. Like doesn't it bug you that there are people right now who because of either health or fear or whatever cannot be here and be present with us. Like this is painful for us. Our leadership has wrestled with this for months. How painful it is that we can't all be in the same room. Sorry, that wasn't in the notes. It's just being, being honest there. There's not a soul in this room who would have found it. And yet, here we are. In the, this is camp, right? Of, of spiritual preparation. And that's Joseph in the prison. He, he doesn't want to be in this situation. But since he is, here's the, here it is. But since he is in this situation, he's going to continue to serve. And he's going to continue to keep a heaven-focused a heaven perspective on life on earth. And I'm going to do something here that's going to get me in trouble. But, but it needs to be done. It's long, it's long overdue. Uh, you see, and so I'm going to call out individuals now. So some of y'all are about to get uncomfortable. All right? There are two ladies here. Some of y'all don't know this, but I'm going to tell you, there are two ladies here. One of them is actually in the nursery right now. There are two ladies who come here every single week, every single week in the midst of pandemics, when they're undergoing cancer treatments, like I can't make them stay away. They come and you know what they do? They don't come and sit and drink coffee. They don't come and play on the piano, which is kind of fun to do when nobody else is here. Come in here and just like, I'm not good, but it's fun to do. They don't do that. What they do is they come every single week and they submit themselves to the lowest possible role by serving as the custodians of this church. So here, here's what that looks like. They come and they pick up your coffee cups. They come and pick up your worship guides. By the way, we'd love for you all to take those home with you. Um, you can use them for your own devotional life. That's why we print them and give them to you each week. They come and do that. They come and vacuum 
the entire building. They come and Windex the windows. They come and wipe down door handles to make sure with Clorox wipes so that you don't catch coronavirus from a surface, which evidently I don't think you can. They do that to protect the families, to serve the families of Rivercrest. And they take time. Every single time they come, here's the, here's the fine print on it. Every single time they come, they also stop and encourage my heart. Every single time. And they don't do it for glory. Like we've never put their picture on social media and be like, hey, celebrate these champions of the faith. We've never done that. We probably should. They don't do it for recognition. They do it because they have hearts to serve and they refuse. They absolutely refuse to let uncomfortable and inconvenient circumstances stop them from serving. They also refuse to let me carry the trash out. I try every single week and they fight me on it. I could say the same thing about the people who show up here every Wednesday night to prepare to lead us in worship. And then show up here while you're still asleep or drinking your coffee or hanging out at the house, and they show up here on Sunday morning to, to prepare to lead us. Like, I want to just say this. If you see someone here or, or back there in the back, they're, gonna, like, they're, gonna, they're probably busy and they're looking at me like, please don't point us out. But you see them back there. They hide in that big wooden crate back there. If you see one of them and your first thought isn't immense, gratitude and thankfulness you need to check your heart you really do we are surrounded by servants of god because i could say the same thing listen i could say the same thing about the men and women who continue to faithfully lead small group bible studies every single week i could say the same thing about the families who are opening their homes to faithfully continue to open their homes to our community groups and I'm going to press on you a little bit because, because, because they won't. But if you see someone serving in some capacity that you either cannot or will not, please go give them a fist bump, tell them thank you, and ask them how you can get connected. If you come up to me and say, you know, something's sounded a little off pitch this week, I will, I'm going to choke you out this week. It's just not going to be a good one. I love you, but no. If you can't find it in your heart to serve beside the people who are serving, you need to look a little bit closer at Joseph. You see, we have these little lights all around us. And some of us in the midst of the pit that has been this year need to open our eyes. That's Joseph in Genesis 40. You see, when we find Joseph in these first verses, not only is he serving those around them, he's also concerned for their hearts. Look at verse 6. It says that when Joseph came to them in the morning, this is after they've had their dreams and we'll get to their dreams, it says that he saw that they were troubled. He saw that they were troubled. He didn't just see his own situation, but in God's continuing work of growing him up, he recognized that they were struggling. And what did he do? Did he sit on the other side of the room far away? I mean, that's what I'd be tempted to do. Oh, man, that guy's really having a rough day. Let me just slide on over here. No, it, Joseph actually moved toward them. He moved toward them with compassion. This way he reminds us, and it's so explicit, I'm just going to say it. He reminds us of Jesus, who sees us in our sinful helplessness. He sees us in our broken and wounded condition. He sees us in the affliction of our souls. And he doesn't move away. 
but Jesus comes running to us. He doesn't retreat, but he actually advances toward us. He sees us. Here's what Jesus does. He sees us hiding up in the tree like Zacchaeus, and he doesn't say, look at this idiot in the tree. He stops and says, why don't you come on down? Let's go eat dinner. He sees us struggling on the shore like his disciples, and he doesn't ignore us, but he jumps in the boat to go fishing. He sees us crippled and desperate for help, too proud to cry out. And knowing that, he still comes to us. And that way, Joseph points us to Jesus here. Now look at verse 9. Get verse 9 there. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all the servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. He placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now, now listen, dreams, the dreams are interesting. And, and dreams in Egyptian culture were seen as like oracles. They were a glimpse into the future. It was like communicating with a different world. It was In their mind, it was the way the divine always communicated. John Curtis pointed out the Egyptians believed that dreams were a medium of the gods to reveal the future to humans. So they saw dreams as a little bit more than what we typically see them. And, it, and it's good news for the cupbearer there, right? And it's good news for him. He's basically saying, listen, you're going to be fine. This moment is going to pass. You're going to be uh, back three days from now. You're going to be restored to the place of honor, restored to the place of privilege, restored to the place of respect. You're going to be back. This is good news for the cupbearer with, with nobody to appeal to. He has no higher power to appeal to because it's Pharaoh who put him there. He's in complete hopelessness. And that's when Joseph tells him there's going to be a liberation. Joseph tells him, look, there's going to be a restoration to your position. And if we can just be clear, this is the heart of the gospel message right there. It's that in your helpless condition, in the prison of your own sin, the king sees you. The king has compassion on you. 
The king himself has come to free you. It's that in Jesus, he's come to restore you to the place that you were meant for all along. That's what Jesus came to do. And like Joseph, he doesn't leave us alone in the mess, but he sets the example for us of grace and faithfulness. One commentator on this passage pointed out that that through his life experiences, Joseph has been developing a redemptive edge. A redemptive edge, like the blade of a knife, like the steel of a knife being sharpened through through these difficult times, through those dark times, those moments of suffering and loss, those times of discomfort, they're shaping. Those times are shaping and fashioning. They're fashioning us for the task that God has set for us. It's God lifting. This is God lifting the head of his people. You see, Joseph isn't looking to his circumstances. He's not looking to his status. He's not looking to his position for ultimate meaning and purpose in his life. He's looking to the author of life. There's a scene in Psalm 3. If you're familiar with the life of David, you'll remember this. Um, He's the greatest king of Israel, but he had a lot of family problems. And in Psalm 3, David is fleeing from his son. He's running away from his own son who's trying to kill him. Absalom is that son. Absalom was the good-looking guy. Said so he used to weigh his hair. I don't even know what that means. I obviously don't have that problem. And so, but but Absalom was the man, and people loved Absalom because he was so good-looking, and he thought he was going to be the man. So he wants to kill David and take over. And David, like Joseph, becomes keenly aware of his situation. And here's what he says: This is Psalm three. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul that there is no salvation for him in God. That's Psalm 3, 1 and 2, okay? Oh Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul that there is no salvation for him in God. And then he pauses. There's a Selah there in the text, right? A Hebrew call to stop and think. That's basically what that means. So when you do your little Bible study, your Bible reading, and you hit a psalm and it says Selah, that means stop and think. That means dwell here for a little while. And the people around him are telling him there's no hope. Does that sound familiar? People around him tell him, look, this is, it, it, there's no hope. There's no reason to even keep on pressing. There's no salvation for you. And God. And here's how David responds. It's really beautiful. Psalm 3 3 says this But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and then don't miss this, the lifter of my head. But you, O Lord, are a shield. You, you realize you only need a shield when somebody's coming at you? Like if you saw somebody just walking through Lexington or Columbia or Irmo carrying a shield just on, a, like on that same Tuesday when you had your cereal, you're going to think they're crazy, right? I mean, we can admit that. Nobody goes around carrying shields. And he's, David's acknowledging he's under attack. You, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and what? The lifter of my head. And he says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. He's a lifter of my head. 
I know that the days are heavy. All right? Can you? I, I know that. I know your days are heavy. I know that you are burdened. I know that you are, that you are troubled. As we come to Thanksgiving and Christmas and such a strange year, there's, there's just this sort of fog. Like there is a cloudiness hanging over everything. We are downcast. And the world is telling me that our only hope, here's what the world is telling me, that my only hope is based on the, of some pharmaceutical companies. But we know better, don't we? Yeah, our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in the lifter of our heads. And because of what he has done for it, what he's done for us, you and I have much to celebrate. We have much to be grateful for because our Father in heaven has poured out his love on us in Christ. He has taken our sin. He has set us free like the cupbearer. He has lifted our heads. That's Colossians 3, that we've been raised with Christ. And so we, you and I, above all people, should be thankful. We, above all people, should be joyful, even in times of uncertainty, even in times of trouble, even in times of wearing masks, even in times of social distance. We, above all people, should be joyful. This is what Paul said in Philippians 4, that I have learned in whatever situation to be content. Remember, Paul, Paul was shipwrecked multiple times, and on one of those occasions, also bitten by a snake. That's the worst day I can possibly imagine. The idea of being shit, I hate snakes, all right? Hate them. If you ask my children right now, what's a good type of snake? They will respond, a dead snake. That's it. We crush all their heads. And I know some of them eat rats. That's fine. They can eat them in somebody else's yard, all right? Paul was bitten by a snake. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul, at one point, is beaten to within an inch of his life and chunked out of the town because they thought he was dead. That's his story of evangelism. That's how Paul did church planning. So anytime I start to, to whine about what it's like to plant a church, you just go, hey, remember when Paul almost got killed? Like they literally threw him out of town, thought he was dead. They just didn't want him to stink up the place. I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. This is what Paul says. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says this, and you know this one. This is the t-shirt verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Football coaches all across the country use that every single week, and only half of them are right. Because we have been saved, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Most roller coasters end, end up back where they started. You know that, right? You take off, you go up the hill, you go all around all the things, you end up right back where you started. You start on the ground, you end up on the ground. The world that you land on is just the same as the world that you started on. But, but it's not that way with us. It's not that way with you and I. In the midst of all the ups and downs, all the flips and all the turns and all the and all the other stuff, God's preparing you and I for something greater. He's sharpening that redemptive edge in our lives. He's sharpening that edge in us for something more beautiful, something more 
something more beautiful than we have ever known. Christian, lift up your eyes. Look forward to where he is leading us, even now. And let's invite some others to join us on the ride. Let's bring them with us on the way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I confess my fear to you. I'm afraid of the times. I'm afraid of the culture. I'm afraid of this moment. I'm afraid of... And so, Lord, I need you to be the shield around me. I need you to be the shield. We need you to be the shield around your church. We need you to be the lifter of our heads again today. Lord, we have been taught and almost beaten into keeping our heads down and looking at at nothing but the situation here on earth with no sort of eschatological vision for what you're doing, no redemptive vision for what you're doing. Lord, you are training up your church even now that we might one day be able to honestly declare, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Forgive us for thinking this is just another day. That this is just another moment. That you're just another God among many. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Be that for us today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.